Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their adversity that each one of us experience and share their story to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator an opportunities designer and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is your host, Dr. Leland. Today, I have a very special guest. I know I say that all the time, but this time, really, my partner in crime, introduce yourself, Dr. Peter. Thank you. Dr. Leland, my friend, I am Dr. Peter Newframe. I am the owner of Ed Service Associates and uh, currently an employee uh, for Nova Academy, and uh, where I serve as a chief, chief academic officer. We do online courses and a lot of international work for secondary students. That's awesome. Now, can you bring my listeners, I want to kind of go to that journey of like, how did you become a leader in that education space? Like, bring us back 20, maybe 25 years ago. Where did your life start? Oh my gosh, how much time is this? <laughs> Make it so, a, a swift two minutes. <laughs> I, I was the definition of a struggling learner, right? So in middle school, I was retained. In fact, I, they did something they don't even do not. I wasn't even retained. They let me go eighth grade and then like October they said oh no you, you need to go back uh, this isn't working out uh, I almost flunked out of high school I was an angry kid and very very lucky um, that one adult took an interest in me changed course my life so um, I wanted to be that for, for someone else um, and so I went to school to be a teacher and became a teacher and um, after, after about six, seven years of classroom teaching, which I loved, uh, I realized, because I always think I can do things better, um, that I could run the building better than the current principal. So uh, I went and got my Master's of Educational Administration. Uh, even when I was a kid, I used to be obsessed with leadership, right? I always wanted to figure out the art of getting other people to do what it is that you wanted to do, and then use that power to, to do some really good things um, so I was really lucky. I was principal for 16 years. I got a PhD in organizational leadership and development and, um, and, and have taken on various leadership roles throughout my life. Really excited about the work at Nova Academy and uh, very excited about, uh, about Ed Service Associates. And I think we're going to be able to put a lot of good work out into the world. Awesome. I'm excited for our partnership and collaboration as well to um, the world, right? To educating the world and helping out everyone. Now, when you, are you in the K to 12 or higher ed or a little bit of both? What, what's your background in that? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm more of a Swiss army knife. I, I do a little bit of both. Now I, I, I have been a principal of K through 12. Um, I have been working with student teachers at Western New England University for the last 20 years, um, and I, I really enjoy that that space as well. So I'm a part-time lecturer and um, and do do some work at the at the post-secondary level. 
but the bulk of my work is is K to twelve. K to twelve. I don't want to make you pick, okay? <laughs> but what do you think the pros and cons of like you've seen both? Um, I have not been an admin on K to twelve, but I have taught K to twelve. Literally, I think my youngest student is five years old, and I think my oldest student now is seventy four. Uh, wow! Yeah. Yeah, amazing. I know, 74. And I love our conversation because it's him teaching me life rather than me teaching him anything, really. Um, so That's unbelievable. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. But I think it takes a different type of skills, sets of skills to really teach K-12, right? Than higher education also. Like what about K-12 education that you like the most and the least? What I like the most about K-12 education is you get to see the progression of a, of a student, right, from early literacy all the way through to AP physics, right? I was a high school principal for most of my career, and uh, working in high school is selfish work because you get to be there at the end of the journey. And, and it's, it's hard work, but it's selfish work. You get to see the fruits of, of the labor of people who have come long before you. In fact, when I was a high school principal, one of the things I used to do was I, I like to um, invite every teacher in the district to participate in graduation. Um, and and the reason was that it was a journey, it was a continuum. And, and we yeah, I picked it up about I don't know, half a dozen years into being a principal. I'm like, this isn't really just high school teachers that should be recognized here. Uh, and so we would have the entire faculty of the district lead the students in and then the students would lead us out after the ceremony. I really liked uh, that part about, about K-12 education. The part that <clears throat> I really did not like about K-12 education was, and if there's any teachers in your audience, they will cue your eye roll now, um, is the bureaucracy that comes with being a K-12 teacher. The standards-based education that's supposed to help um, teaching to a test. I really hated that. Uh, the red tape that comes with various state departments of education. Being a teacher comes with so much creative heat that it feels like departments of education are trying to squash out of these, these <laughs> people who are doing right the most noble thing with their lives, which is be a teacher. I mean, you can't pick anything better um, to do with your life. So that I really hate it, and it probably drove me out um, of, of the public education sector. K-12. Now, you have dabbled on the higher education as well. What is the same question? What is the your favorite thing, and what is the least? And so my favorite thing is that, um, you know, teachers love their content, and, and excellent teachers realize that their content is just a vehicle to deliver skills, right? But I love my content. I love, I was a history major, and and I could talk about leadership and educational leadership all day long. The thing that I hate the most, uh, dislike the most, probably hate's a strong word. Yeah. The thing that I dislike the most is, <laughs> yeah, is probably that I don't feel like I'm reaching all the students that I need to. The cost of college, which no is very pertinent this last two weeks, particularly, 
I feel like college is becoming college is gatekeeping their opportunities for students. And so when I go to work with student teachers, a class of student teachers, and there's four, six in a class, I can't help but feel like my reach is not being maximized. I see. I could see that. All right. Well, what traits and skills do you feel are the most important when becoming a leader or as a leader? So this is such a huge question, right? And, and, and literally could be the subject of a dissertation. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep it relatively short for you, the listeners. So the skills that are most important in a leader is, is really empathy. Um, and this isn't, and, and, and I know your listeners don't know me, but you do, Dr. CJ, Dr. Leland. Uh, I'm not sort of a touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy person. I try, but I, you know, I, I, I only have that skill set in, in so much capacity. So I work really hard. Being empathetic is really hard for me, and I worked really hard at it. Didn't always succeed, but I worked really hard at it. And the, I, I hope at this point my life is valid, but um, there's research behind this. Google did a massive study called Project Aristotle on the, the efficiency and efficacy of teams. And what they discovered, they, they studied teams in their organization for years to figure out what makes the best team. Was it the best resources? Was it the most talented people all on the same team? The answer is no. The number one thing that creates a strong team is a sense of psychological safety so that the team members felt like they could take a risk. They could step out of the normal protocol, take a risk to see if they could be more effective and more efficient and not be penalized for that. That was the number one. And so I feel like that validates my my sense that organizations are made of people. People have have issues people have problems people have you may need to pick up your 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 kid at soccer practice that might be the number one thing that is going on in your world that day and and as the principal i don't care about that right i care that the math my math department head is is getting those those scores up but if it's an organization full of people then you need to have the people buy in you need to build a coalition of the willing this is not the army, uh, unfortunately, where you, I can say do that and they do that. Yeah. So you've got to you you you've got to lead with empathy. Thank you for doing that. I can't even imagine like I think even on our you know four or five months together on a project somewhere else, I I can't even imagine you as not an empathetic leader. I think I do see. Maybe I'm only seeing the outcome of all your you know practice. But I am grateful for that because I do see you think before you speak and then make the decision to say, how can I help this way? Because I think you were intentional on your help to make sure that you are willing at 100% to do it. And I appreciated that because sometimes people say, I can help, but they just say it in front of people. And then in the behind closed doors, they don't really help you, which I don't like, right? So... I, I like, I can't see you not being empathetic. For sure, I've seen it. But you write about that. It's like people need to know that you support them if they make mistakes. And I think the hardest part that I've seen as a leader in education and corporate world is that 
people need to be perfect. If they make a mistake, they can get fired. They can be, you know, put down. They can be chastised. It's really amazing how people are socially conditioned to feel that way, you know. And I think it takes a leader to say it's okay to make mistakes. Go for it, and then we'll figure it out together. I mean, you just encapsulated it so well. If you if you lead by fear, that works, right? Like that's that's a legit skill. Like that that works for a short period of time. I always wanted to build a long term organization. I always wanted to be a long term leader that was super effective. And be it my experience or you know my studies, you, you need to lead with empathy, and and that goes like that's number one, right? There's again, I could go on and on. You have to goal set. You have to create the conditions for effectiveness. All these other things are super important. But if someone was taking away one thing, right, if, if, if they're at all like me, and they, and I know everyone listens to all of your podcasts, my friend, but if they're like me and their run ends like halfway through the podcast, I'm like, I'll get back to that. So if you're going to take away one thing about this, it's lead with empathy and create the condition of psychological safety for folks because they'll take risks for you if, if you if you create that space for them. And man. The, the outcomes will, will I, I guarantee they will blow you away. I know. I've done that with my team, and it's amazing how they got your back. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you, you're like, whoa, thank you for, you know, doing that. But but I think it has to be, you have to lead by example. You can't expect people to do what you're asking, but you're not willing to do what you're asking. That is, right? Well, isn't that the other thing? Don't yeah. we all want our boss? to roll up their sleeves and jump in when things start to get hot. Uh, and and it's not if, right? Because everyone makes a mistake. Yeah. So it's not it's not it's not if you're gonna make a mistake, when you make a mistake as the boss. And if you're not cut if you're not giving people a little bit of gracious space, a little bit of room to make those mistakes and, and realize that that's okay, there's no consequences for that, because you were, your intention was good, when you as the leader make the mistake you also will realize like these people are here to help me. They're going to take care of me because I took care of them. That yeah. doesn't mean you can, you know, let the inmates run the asylum, but <laughs> it does mean you've got to create some intentional space for that. Yeah, I, I do see that. And I think grace, grace needs to also go both ways, like you said. And people make mistakes. That's how you learn. Like, how many how many times do you think Elon was, you know, doing his car? How many reiteration? How many years, right? Jack Ma, he tried to go so bad to business school because he wants to create a business platform. He just doesn't know. And Harvard rejected him three times. And he's like, fine, I'm going back to China. I'm just going to make a bigger place more than yeah. eBay in the whole entire China with 2 billion people in it, right? And and I think that's great because people create opportunities for themselves. So on my next question, how has the recent COVID-19 pandemic changed your leadership style? Has leading others become more challenging for you or is it like the same really? This is a great question. I was, there's a management style literally called management by walking around. And it is just what it sounds like. And I was a big believer uh, when I was a principal every day, right? I mean, in fact, I had to mix it up because my staff knew my routine. I would I would do the bus, right? Get the kids in. You, you got to do right with Maslow's hierarchy. I had to take care of the basics, right? I got the kids in the door. Everyone was safe. There were no, no parents to deal with. I hit classrooms. I walked around the entire building every morning. In fact, I had to mix it up. But 
but being together physically allowed me to have a lot of what I call drive-by conversations. And, and it was, it was very helpful. I was able to get a pulse of the building. I was able to get a pulse of my staff, get ahead, get a, get, if you listen carefully, people will tell you what you're looking for. I got, I, I, I got, a, I got a sense of a lot of problems upcoming that we were able to solve before they actually became problems. I used to have a standing meeting with my union stewards every week. And I didn't care if we talked about the Red Sox or the Patriots or whatever. We met every week because I wanted to get ahead of problems before they were problems. That was the benefit for me of physical, being together physically, that physical space. COVID took that away. And I was really forced to reinvent myself a little bit. There is no, let me walk over to Dr. Leland's desk and, and see how she's doing. Cause I know her mom was sick last week and maybe her production's off a little bit. I didn't have that anymore. So I had to be a lot more intentional about it. What I liked about management by walking around was that you were able to, which is an older sort of leadership theory, but you were able to make connections with people. So I had to do that virtually and it was much more intentional and much more difficult for someone like me who I'm very organized, but I feel like like an, giving people space to have a, a disagreement, you know, informally is is a benefit. And so I had to I had to go out and create those opportunities. I meet with each member of my team on a regular basis individually, and and that is something that for me I have to schedule. I'd be much more intentional about. <laughs> so for COVID, for me, it it was the loss of um, it was a loss of the informality. Everything's formal now. If I want to meet with a team member, I have to set up calendar invites and Zoom. We have to get together. Sometimes that can be intimidating, right? Sometimes people, my staff will email me like, well, what do I do wrong? Why are we meeting? I'm like, no, nothing. I just want to talk. I want to see how you are. I want to I want to make sure that you have the condition, you create those conditions for effectiveness. Do you have what you need? So COVID's really forced me to up my game to level up. Yeah, right. I think a lot of people, it's either you you wither around or you stick around, right? It's like an opportunity. It's called a train opportunity. It's basically going from stop to stop and you're the next stop. Are you hopping in or staying out? And that's really what it is. And for those who embrace technology, whether we like it or not, whether we're good at it or not, you better get good. And you better get good true. quick, right? Like, even if you true. just know the basic, like, it's okay to turn on this button right here and hang up on everyone in the meeting. I did that once. And they're like, what happened? And I had to text everyone. I'm like, I'm sorry. I pushed the wrong button. Come back. You know? Oops. Yeah. Oops, oops. yeah. Yeah. That was horrible. But, you know, we laugh at it now. And we're like, yeah, we're a pro now. Come on. You know? But first time we're like, oh, that's a wrong button to push. Thank you for, <laughs> for sharing that. Now, this might be a little bit of like a deep conversation and self-reflection a little bit. Like, have you discovered your purpose in life? I know some people don't like that question because they're like, well, my purpose is just to live day by day. But some people are, like you said, intentional. Like, have you discovered that? And if so, how does your career illustrate that? For me, I would say you, I've discovered my purpose in life. And, and I, I was very lucky in that. I, I front-loaded my life with a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. I mean, I was, again, a terrible, terrible student. I'm pretty sure I'm the only PhD that you know that was retained in middle school. I wanted to help kids like me, 
And so I was kind of fortunate in that early on, I knew I wanted to do something um, in, in a youth services field. Uh, and that, that was incredibly rewarding for me. I mean, I still cannot tell you the number of students that I speak with, former students on a daily basis. I, I uh, have been fortunate enough to go to their weddings and, and, and their events, family events. I'm really close with, with a lot of my former students, and, and it's, it's a gift. The reason that I'm really close to many of them is that I, I really connected um, with them. In, in the secondary world, right, in the high school world, there is, uh, and, and I'd love to break this, of, 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 of classroom teachers, there's a little bit of a hierarchy around teaching some of the advanced courses. Um, and I would say to you that the work of education, I had a vehement disagreement with one, a, a fantastic teacher who said to me, my specialty is teaching advanced students. And I said, well, that's not, that's not really a specialty. Um, because I'm putting you in front of uh, the level one students, like the, the 101, you're, you're teaching the sweat hogs. I want my best teachers in front of my worst students because those people need you. And, and nothing against AP students and advanced placement students. I wish I had been one of you. Um, but, uh, but a lot of you... I could put in a closet, I could lock you in there with a textbook, open it up a month later, and you'd have it memorized, right? Yeah. So I, I, I really connected with the work, the best work that I did was in the worst schools that I was in. And, and I was really fortunate to know what I wanted to do with my life, which was I wanted to help students like me because I never felt like I was dumb. I never felt like I was stupid. I mean, I was getting a lot of Fs, and I don't know why I didn't feel like I was stupid, but I, I knew I wasn't, and I, knew, I, just, I just needed that push, and it was a gift, and I, can, I, I, I know exactly who the person is that, that, that sort of changed me around. I have talked to him about it since, and he's like, honestly, I didn't think it was that big a deal. It just kind of lighted me up one day, and it just, it just proves that point, right, that old saying, like, when the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. I was ready to hear what he had to say. And it, it changed my life, uh, what I would be doing versus what I am doing right now, which is having a pleasant conversation with a friend about, about life and education and, and, and improving ourselves. Uh, and I, I was lucky. So I did. I found early on what I, what I was supposed to do. I love that. I love that because that is what my podcast is all about. People only see the title of our degree, but really don't know what kind of path or journey that we're in, right? And the yes. fact that you're sharing that with me, thank you so much. That, that <laughs> it just it touched my heart that I could see the connection of your experiences and you fueled all that experiences that you've had to where you're at today to help others who's similar situation like you might not be less, might not be more in between, but at least that's, you feel like that's your purpose is to help out people and kids to touch their heart, to say, you're not stupid. you it's not just your time to learn. Right. And I love capturing the messy side of humanity because you don't want to just talk about all the good things because there are people right now listening to this. And I know that I've gotten email from other people that sometimes they're end of the rope. And they're like, education is all theory. We don't learn anything from it. It's just a bunch of 
you know, like right now, 650 billion bailout that we're having, right? And some of those students probably are not even graduated with the, with all those money that they owe, right? And so sometimes people lose hope on education because they don't get transferable skills when they go to work. But the fact that sometimes it's not just about the theory itself, it's the experience that you get to have with your students or with your teacher, whether you like your teacher or not, there's always some lesson learned somewhere if you just listen and take the time. So I appreciate you doing that so much. Um, What about your career that truly inspires you and said, you know, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life because of this? So I I was really lucky. I got interviewed uh, by uh, Authority Magazine a couple months ago, and they asked, they asked a very similar question. And the answer, um, the answer is, is actually, is actually a student of his name. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll just call him JJ. But, you know, the greatest work that I've done validates my choices. And the greatest work that I, 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 I have had uh, in my career, and I'm very fortunate to have been able to help a lot of kids and to stay connected with a lot of kids who became successful adults. But JJ was, JJ was, was, was the reason that I stayed. Because being an administrator, as you know, being a teacher, as you know, I'm sure as many of your listeners know, it's very difficult to stay motivated. And it's very easy to become jaded. And I was a vice principal, right? This is 2002. I was a vice principal at a middle school. And I was in an area that had a lot of good work to do. How's that? I won't call it a, 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 <laughs> a, a depressed area. I won't call it, you know, an at-risk area. I won't call it uh, an area with a lot of good work to do. And I had a student who was just an amazing kid, a terrible student. He would skip school. He would smoke in the bathroom. I was suspending him left and right, which at the time was the only tool that I had, right? And and so one day, you know, sort of sat him down and we had it out and 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 i had a great conversation about how much i you know i I know you can do this i shared a lot of my story with him which which personalized me so fast forward right for those of you who are old enough to have remembered boy meets world i mr feenedom i went to high school i went to high school the high school principal he shows up freshman year he said what you're here like, I had a fight with you all through middle school, and I'm going to fight with you all through high school. <laughs> he spent six years at that high school. He was retained, and, and I wouldn't have done it again because obviously I wasn't a big fan of retention having gone through it. But he was so determined to get a diploma. I mean, I spent hours tutoring him, going to his athletic games, Going to his house, you know, talking to his mother. I mean, I I, I own at least a third of that diploma. Um, <laughs> but that, the fact that someone didn't give up on me gave me the drive to, to do this. And, and and I was able to do it with lots of kids. But I'll never forget JJ. I, well, I won't forget him because I talk to him all the time. But but I think he's the greatest success that I ever had. And, and he didn't go on to college and he didn't go on, but he got a high school diploma and he's a good father now. And he's got a beautiful family and a couple of, more than a couple of kids. He's got a bunch of kids, but, but I, I consider him my validation 
for my approach to education and and my success. Um, if if I've had a success over the years, he's it, and and I'm just blessed to be a part of that young man's life. I love it. I love it. I always tell my kids, I'm like, I don't know if I could be a high school teacher. I did a high school drama teaching. I love drama. So um, I teach them drama all the time. I'm like, come on, if you have drama with your teacher, bring it to this class. This is the right class for you, you know, and you know, just try to teach them memorization and, you know, um, facial expression and things like that. And I don't know if I could teach high school kids because I, I'm very impatient on a lot of things and you need a lot of patience. But I'm surprised that all my college feedback, all my students are like, you're super patient. And my kids roll their eyes when they hear those. And I'm like, I guess I'm more patient with adults maybe than kids, you know. Um, but I like to teach five-year-olds and kindergarten, you know, because I think it's, they're agreeable. When you hit that high school, it's the, the back talk. I'm like, I have two at my house that are high schoolers. I can't handle it, you know. Like, I can't do it. So that's probably what it is. But that's such an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. And for all the people out there who maybe have those types of kids where it's a challenge for you, please reach out to them from your heart, right? Because you never know what is happening behind closed doors. It, it, it's the truth. And even the worst kid that you have, if you're a teacher, they're right. I just always tell teachers like jerks are made, not born. I was a jerk. And, and, and I was made that way. Um, you know, thankfully I recovered. Um, but there's every, every, every behavior has a, has, has a motivating factor behind it. So, just don't write them off, you know. I know, oh, I know they're frustrating. Gosh, do I know they're frustrating. But my wife is a teacher, and uh, say I'm not a teacher anymore. But, <laughs> yeah. But I, I get I get to live it, right? She comes home, and she's like, oh, this kid. And, of course, I have distance, so I can say, well, what do you think? Why, why do you think he's like that? And she's like, don't. <laughs> don't give me that excuse for him. <laughs> I just yeah. want to fit right now. I don't, I don't, I don't want to fix him yet. I'll fix him tomorrow. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. I think um, in California, though, some of the kids here throw, like, barbells at their teachers. Oh. Yeah, and I um, curse them. Uh, yeah, so cops camp comes over all the time. I have uh, friends who are public school teachers, been doing it for 20 years, and they're like, I'm dying. I want to retire. I hate teaching. I love, I used to love teaching. I love my kids, but these five kids, I just can't stand yeah. them. And, you know, it's really heart disheartening when I see, like, a lot of teachers trying to switch careers to other careers beca because of that situation, and COVID d does not help because there's a lot of regulations and things like that added on top of it and miscommunication and it's just a lot of tense i feel like they're working on triage you know what i mean like everywhere is bleeding and i'm like yeah. i don't know how to fix it and i hope we can fix it but what do you think leaders can do to promote success in their team uh well, what a great question again, right? I mean, one of the things that we don't do as educators is take a minute to stop and say, we did a really good job there. Uh, that's something that, that, that we need to stop and, and, and take a moment uh, and, and sort of, sort of celebrate. So I used to do a few things when I was, when I was, a principal. I, I do them on my, on my team now, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not quite the same. Schools are, 
a shared experience amongst adults. So I did a few things, right? So when I was a new new principal, I wanted to make sure teachers felt valued. I was gonna, I was gonna do, I was gonna be my, you know, a teacher of the month parking spot. And I was gonna do all, so I did all those things. And what I realized was, the other teachers were sort of on the on, on the teacher of the month with the parking spot. They're on their case. Like, what are you, what are you, what are you sucking up? What are you? So I sort of backtracked. I'm like, I can't, I can't have them pitted against each other. But I wanted to make sure we celebrated our victories. So I did a few things. Um, one was I started something called the You Make My Day Award. And it was typical, right? I was a high school principal, so I wanted to make it ridiculous. So like I took I took apart a bunch of the every high school in America has this huge trophy case somewhere. And there's like the nineteen thirty-seven state ping pong championship trophy in there, right? So we took apart a bunch of those and we made like this kind of freak show trophy. It was kind of goofy and funny. Um, but I gave out the award, the first one, and then I never gave it out again. The recipient had to find someone who made their day, and then they had to give out the award. And so it was a way to get the staff to begin to celebrate each other. And it started out kind of funny, right, because I like to keep, if I have a meeting, it's because I have something to say. But I like to keep the faculty meetings light. I don't have a meeting just for a meeting. So I gave out the first one. I never gave it again. Although I was lucky, I, I, I received it a couple of times. But every faculty meeting, someone else would, would present the You Make My Day Award. And it turned into a nice way to celebrate each other. Um, I would, I really have embraced technology. Uh, and, and so I would carry around that cell phone everywhere. I would take a picture of every single thing I saw going well. I also carry an iPad with me. I write down when I'm observing things in a classroom that are terrific. And every Friday, I sent out two newsletters. One was internal, and it was all the good things that I saw, all the good pedagogy, all the times when a teacher went up to a kid in the lunchroom who was struggling. Every time I saw the custodian, you know, helping a teacher unlock the keys out of their car. And I sent it out, and it was my thank you for that week to the staff. The second thing I did, because I felt like, particularly towards the end of my time, now I left being a principal in 2018-19, I felt like it was very much schools against parents. And so every Friday, I would write and send out a newsletter to the parents, but it wasn't a newsletter from school like, oh, next week is the school dance. I mean, some of that was in there, but I always try to include pictures of, of good things going on at school and a list of good things I saw. I caught students doing because we always called home, right, when things were going poorly, and I wanted to reach out when things were going well. And I think it helped with a culture shift between the view of the community in the school and the view of the school within the school. You know, even within every school in America, there's there's a little bit of a rivalry between departments and such. And I wanted to make sure that we were celebrating each other, uh, and that if we were if we were winning some competition that we had in our heads, you know, math department versus the science department, that it was because we were all at our best. And um, and and so I, I tried really hard to do some of those organic things because I felt like as a new principal I started with some formal things right teacher lunch and this and it it fell a little flat and so I wanted to be a little more ground up than top down I like it it was sustainable because you weren't doing it alone 
it was sustainable because there was collaboration. Uh, that's how I see that. Uh, and that's why I like, I'm a cheerleader by heart, I think for sure. I was a cheerleader in high school, but by heart, I love to cheer my team, especially when we are down, not necessarily when we are up. So it's like, okay, this is our downward moment. How can we be up? What are the things that, you know, like you said, scavenger hunt for good things rather than highlighting you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you you're like, there's a whole list of what I didn't do today. Can I hear something else different on my list, please? You know, Um, so that I like it. It's sustainable because of collaboration for sure. Now, the last question I have for you is that um, I was watching an interview with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And he said, change begins within you. Use compassion to change your world and ultimately our world. How do you hope to change the world, Pete? Boy, that's a a huge question. And I will tell you that I want to change the world for the better one kid at a time. Uh, I wish... I were the U.S. Department of Education, you know, secretary. I wish I, you know, could create policy on a federal level to help students. Uh, I'm not. There's only one person who gets that job. Um, and I imagine it's far too political for me to, to, to ever get because I'm not interested in politics. Uh, I'm interested in helping kids. So my goal is to have one kid at a time. And, and to help one teacher at a time. And in doing that, um, it may only improve my community at the moment or my small area of the world, but it has a ripple effect. When I talked about JJ earlier, he is just one of the most quality human beings on the face of this earth. And if, I, if I'd given up on him or he had given up, where would he be? Would he be putting out good into the world right now or would he be struggling? Would he, you know, be one of the people that needs help? Instead, he's helping other people. So that's my goal. My goal, and that's honestly, Dr. Leland, it's why I founded it with my wife, Ed Service Associates, because I have seen so many money, I won't name any of them, but I've seen so many money-grabbing organizations that come out and sort of prey on school districts who always kind of get the short end of the stick uh, I wanted to do, I wanted to see if I could multiply the work that I was doing by, by helping teachers with, with, with some quality work. And in that way, indirectly, hopefully I'm impacting even more student lives um, because that's my goal. And that's, that's between my, my day job at Nova Academy and, and my night job uh, at Ed Service Associates, you know, I have the chance to put a lot of good out into the world. And I think creating some really good ripple effects um, is my goal. And I think that's right now, that's the most that I can do until I find a different way to do the most that I can do. That's the best. Yeah. You know what? Let's take a lesson learned of that conversation we've had. You tried something on your own, just like with your faculty or your team, right? By yourself. And you say it laid flat. Now you're starting on your own by yourself and well, not by yourself with your wife. I don't want it to lay flat. I want it to multiply. So collaboration, I said, was the key, right? 
That's why That's we're right. collaborating. Because with my reach, with your reach, with the people other in our team, we are going to change the world. One kid at a time, one teacher at a time. And we can't do it without the help of everyone, right? Whoever is listening. So I want them to know where to find you. Where could they find you if they want to um, ask you questions or just curious of what you're doing? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, I'm at, well, you can contact me through our website, which is um, uh, edservices.associates. So E-D-S-E-R-V-I-C-E-S dot associates a s s o c i a t e s uh you can just do a google search and we're out there and um you know we curate the work um you'll notice you can go to other organizations and you'll see probably twice the amount of courses offered um it's because i curate every single one i know every single presenter i have gone through every single course before it makes it to our website because for sign up because we want to do really good work and um, and this isn't a money grab it's it's more of a passion project for us we're both educators my wife and I and yeah so so I'd love to hear from people uh, and um, good bad or indifferent you don't even have to sign up for a core we can just have a conversation or or talk I, I like I I believe in karma. I believe that you and I were connected and, uh, you know, through a, a completely different project. And, uh, and because of that, I think, I think there's a lot of synergy and I think you and I are going to be able to do a lot of good work together. And I feel like that is a possibility for me and lots of folks and you and lots of folks. So let's connect. We don't have to do anything but talk, but we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Yes. And Dr. Peter and I are going to be collaborating on classes and courses for the same exact reason, right? Because we want to help um, people out there who wants to level up their game. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. And I'm thrilled to to be working with you, my friend. Perfect. And my colleague. Thank you so much for being here today. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you, Dr. Leland. Thank you, all of Dr. Leland's listeners. And one way or another, you're going to hear from us again. You're going to hear from me again. And I know you're going to listen to Dr. Leland's podcast. So thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua, L-U-A, at level up by Doc Leland. Doc Leland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D dot com. Lua by Doc Leland dot com is open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in the next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.